This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in its power and love even now as you listen. Today, we have been walking through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we are in the last chapter of that letter, chapter 6, and last week we began talking about the whole armor of God. This chapter tells us that we are involved in spiritual warfare, and to be able to stand in that spiritual battle, we need on the armor of God. So last week we looked at the first two pieces of the armor, and that's the belt of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness. And today, we're going to look at the next two, shoes of readiness and the shield of faith. And so, let's look this morning at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. So, just follow along with me as I read. Paul says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or arrows of the evil one. Father, we pray that we would be outfitted, equipped with the whole armor of God. We uh, dare not seek to fight this spiritual warfare with our own fleshly strength. We need you. We must be close to you. We must walk with you. We must be equipped with your armor. And so these are just vital moments as we look at your word together. Help us to understand this armor. Help us to take it up. Help us to put it on. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, I gave an illustration that happened from the first land battle, major land battle of the Civil War, which was the first battle of Bull Run, or first Manassas that took place in in northern Virginia. And that battle took place on the farmland of a man named Wilmer McLean. And after seeing all the violence and all the carnage that took place on his farm, Wilmer McLean said, I I don't want any more of this. He anticipated that there would be more fighting in northern Virginia, and he was right about that. And so Wilmer McLean said, I'm going to move my family far to the southwest to the rolling hills between Farmville and Lynchburg to the little hamlet of Appomattox, (laughs) where... Four years later, the last major battle of the Civil War took place and the war ended in the house of Wilmer McLean. And so he said the war began in my front yard and it ended in my parlor. I mean, no matter how hard he tried, he could not get away from war. And neither can we. There is a spiritual war that is raging and the Bible says we cannot avoid this war. We are involved. We are all big time involved 
We have a supernatural enemy, and he is attacking us. And so we saw this very clearly in verse 12, where the Bible says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the Bible tells us that really we're engaged in hand-to-hand combat with this hierarchy of demonic power, Satan and his demons. They are powerful. They are intelligent. But our God is so much greater as we just sung a few minutes ago. The remedy that we have in our God is infinitely more powerful than anything that the devil or his demons can throw against us. God has given us His armor. God has given us what we need to stand. So, Paul says in verses 10 and 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not have to be overrun in this conflict. We can stand if we stand in God and His strength and clothed in His armor. So last week, we looked at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Today, the shoes of readiness and the shield of faith. Let's talk about the shoes of readiness first. He says in verse 15, And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, I've learned that when it comes to working out, and specifically to running distances, not to compromise with what I put on my feet. Because my torso really doesn't care what kind of shirt I have on when I'm running. My legs really don't care what kind of shorts or sweats I have on when I'm running. But my feet care big time about what kind of shoes I have on when I'm running. And I've learned the hard way. It is worth it to spend a little extra on running shoes. I I don't want to cut corners when it comes to what I put on my feet. And neither did the Roman army. Because the sort of sandal slash boot that Roman soldiers wore in the first century, the, the caliga, was renowned the world over for its quality. Now... Paul tells us to to put on shoes of readiness. What is he talking about? Well, there are several technical issues going on in Greek in verse 15, and they impact the way that this verse is translated and thus the way that it's interpreted. But I believe the meaning here is very clear. Very clear. I believe that Paul is talking here about a readiness to announce the good news of the gospel of peace. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, he's quoting here, he's alluding to a verse in the Old Testament. And it's Isaiah 52 and verse 7, which says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news is what? It's gospel, right? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, 
who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, the original context of Isaiah 52.7 is that a runner is moving swiftly over the mountains that surround Jerusalem. He's moving toward Zion, toward Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he is going to announce good news. He's going to announce glad tidings. He's going to announce your God reigns. He's going to announce a message of peace to the people. Now, Paul also quotes this same verse, Isaiah 52.7, in another of his letters. He quotes it in the book of Romans, in Romans 10, which says this, beginning with verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless without someone uh, preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, when Paul quotes Isaiah 52.7 in Romans 10, what's the context? It's a passage about missions. A passage about announcing the good news. And so, what he's talking about here in Ephesians 6.15 when he talks about shoes of readiness, he's talking about a readiness to announce the good news of the gospel of peace. Shoes of readiness. Think about shoes. What do they do? Well, shoes, first of all, carry us from place to place. As we go through the course of our daily lives, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we mingle with Friends, I mean, wherever our feet take us every day, we're to be ready to speak of Jesus. As we go from place to place, ready to speak of the good news of Christ. I mean, it's a matter of waking up every day with the mindset that you are that day, every day, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Every day. You are an agent of God. Every day, it's a matter of waking up every day, looking at life through the lenses of a missionary, understanding that God wants to use you and that God is going to bring people across your path for you to announce the good news to. And we're to be ready to do that. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared. And that the word in Ephesians 6.15 that's translated in the ESV is readiness. It could also be translated as being prepared, okay? So always being ready, being prepared to make a defense to anyone ask, who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what does it mean to be ready as we just do daily life, to be ready to speak the good news of Jesus? Does it mean that you've got to have like some canned presentation of the gospel, memorized. No, it does not. It's much more about being prayed up, being full of the Spirit, and just loving the people that God sends across your path 
And, and as you love them, loving them enough to share the greatest news in the world with them. Um, God can do a lot more with a few people like that <laughs> that are ready than with a lot of people who are not ready and that are complacent. You think about the story of Gideon and Judges. God told Gideon, I want you to drive out, raise up an army and drive out the Midianites. So Gideon raised up an army of 32,000 men, and he wondered if that was going to be enough. And God said, too many. God said, I want you to tell all the ones who are afraid just to go home. Well, 22,000 of them went home, quit on the spot. It's down to 10,000 at that point. He's really concerned. And what does God say? Too many. And so God tells him to take the 10,000 down to a brook, had the opportunity to go to this little spring um, in February, March on the trip to Israel. But, uh, so they, they go down to this, this spring, and God says, I want you to make a distinction between the ones who just lay down their armor, lay down their weapons, and, just, and get on their knees and their bellies to drink, and they're not going to be prepared to fight, and the ones who just stay, at, stay in a state of readiness and they just sort of crouch down and cut their hands and get the water. Well, guess what? 9,700 out of the 10,000 put down their weapons, put down their armor, and got on their bellies and drank. That left 300. God said, that's all we need. <laughs> they routed <laughs> the, the Midianites. Um, you know, and so what God needs is not so much huge numbers as He needs people that are all out. He can do more with a few like that than with many that are complacent. Sometimes as evangelicals, I mean, we focus so much on numbers in our churches, we probably need to focus more on the level of commitment in our churches. Um, because God can do so much with lives that are just surrendered and, and all out for Him, which is why we want to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. Okay, shoes carry us from place to place. What else? We need shoes of readiness that enable us to go long distances or to hard places. The caliga, the, the sandal boot that wrote these Roman soldiers wore, it enabled them to march long distances. It also had studs on the bottom of it that enabled them to, uh, to, to negotiate in difficult, rough terrain. They could get into hard places. We live in a world with, as we heard earlier, about 6,500 people groups around the world that have not heard of Jesus. Most of them, live a long ways away, and most of them live in difficult, dangerous places to be a Christian. So what are we going to say? Are we going to say, oh, let's just, let's just not go long distances. Let's just not go to the, the hard places, the dangerous places. What if God had said that? about us. I mean, we're getting ready to enter into the heart of the holiday season, which for us as believers 
means that we're remembering that God took the ultimate mission trip from heaven to earth. He left the glory of His Father's side in heaven to come to this earth and to be born in, a, in an animal pen and to die on a cross. How dare we as rescued ones who have been on the receiving end of so much compassion and mercy, how dare we say, yeah, we're not going to go long distances. We're not going to go into the hard, dangerous places. Now, I realize that not every person is called to a, a career in international missions. I also realize that, that many people can't even go on a short-term trip uh, to places like that. But listen, if you are a sender, you are an essential part of this team. Others cannot go unless you send them. The force of over 5,000 IMB missionaries cannot be sent and sustained without senders. We saw it earlier in Romans 10, right? How can they go unless they are what? Sent. They have to be sent. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering is all about sending them. And we have a thing with a dilemma with IMB in that we have more people that are ready to go than we have funds to send them. It should not be. It should not be. Not with the resources that we have in this country. It should not be. And we're getting ready to enter into, you know, Black Friday and into the heart of the commercial season in our culture. Not against Christmas gifts. Not saying that, but I'm telling you, the most important gift that my family and yours will give during this, this Christmas is going to be our gift to Lottie Moon. Nothing more important. Nothing more strategic. Shoes that enable us to go long distances or to hard places or to send others who can. Third, shoes that enable us to move swiftly. The runner in Isaiah 52.7, is moving like a gazelle toward Jerusalem. Why? Because he has good news to announce once he gets there. It's a message of peace. It's a message of glad tidings. A message of salvation. A message that your God reigns. It's news that's going to change lives. It's what we get to do as believers. You think about the pictures of Times Square on BJ Day, on the day when World War II came to an end. These people were delirious with joy. You had perfect strangers that were kissing one another. I mean, they're just so caught up. Why? It's because of news. It is not because people stood on the street corners and said, hey, here's a list of, of rules for a living. Here's a new philosophy for your life. And that's not what Christianity is either. Christianity is about news. The gospel is good news. This is what we get to announce. We are announcers, proclaimers of the good news. But listen, the time that we have to do that is short. We get one brief life, and we don't know when our lives are coming to an end, and we don't know when Christ is going to return, and people are dying. There's an urgency to this. We must move swiftly with the gospel and enable others to do so. 
as well. So shoes that enable us to move swiftly. Shoes of readiness. Okay, let's talk about the shield of faith. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or arrows of the evil one. The shield that Roman soldiers used in the first century covered most of their body. When you think about a Roman shield, do not think about a frisbee, okay, a large frisbee. Think about something that that covered most of their body. They were about four and a half feet long and two feet wide. Now, he tells us to take up the shield of faith. Faith is trusting in God and His promises. Trusting in God and His promises. And as we do that, what does our faith do? Well, first of all, our faith protects us. It protects us. Verse 16 again. He talks about these flaming arrows. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts, flaming arrows of the evil one. In ancient warfare, they would take the tips of the arrows and dip them in pitch and light them and then fire them. If you want to get an idea of the terror of this, as because if they didn't hit the shield, they were going to hit the, the body of a soldier. and So you not only had the damage of the arrow going in, but it would light their clothes on fire. In one of the opening scenes of the film Gladiator, there's a, there's a scene that shows this very graphically and just the, the terror that were produced by these flaming arrows. But if they hit the shield of a Roman soldier, they would be snuffed out because these shields were made of two layers of laminated wood with a a cover of of leather hide so that they were designed so these flaming arrows would embed themselves into the shield and be quenched, be snuffed out. And listen, every flaming arrow that our enemy shoots at us can be snuffed out if we'll hold up the shield of faith. Now, it was not unusual in first century warfare for a soldier to emerge with dozens of these arrows embedded in their shields. Their shields would sometimes look like a porcupine after the battle. They would have so many uh, arrows that would be embedded in them. And I think it's safe to say that during the course of our lives, our enemy shoots not dozens but thousands of flaming arrows at us. Arrows of temptation. Arrows of despair. Arrows of discouragement. Arrows of fear and worry and doubt and pride and on and on. He knows our weaknesses. But our God is a shield. We see that beginning in the first book of the Bible when God says to Abram, after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not Abram, I am your shield your reward shall be very great. David says in Psalm 5, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Again, in Psalm 18, David says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, 
and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Later in that same psalm, this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Later in the same psalm, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Again, in Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. And the wisdom of Proverbs, we see that, that he, God stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Later in Proverbs, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So, when by faith we take refuge in God and trust in Him and His promises, we are holding up the shield of faith which protects us, but it does something else for us. Faith enables us to advance. You see, to the Roman army, the shield was not merely a defensive weapon. It was not just something that they would huddle behind in a defensive posture. The most famous Roman formation was the phalanx, which was an offensive maneuver in which the columns of soldiers would bunch together and hold up their shields and move forward. And so what the terrified enemy would see would be like this solid wall of shields, almost like one shield, because the soldiers were so bunched together they would see like this solid wall of a, of a shield, you know, many shields that had become like one shield, just moving toward them. Now that tells us something about the shield of faith, doesn't it? It tells us that our faith needs to be linked to the faith of others. And that has a couple of implications. First implication, every believer needs a church. Every believer needs a church. Our faith is not meant to be exercised in isolation from others. There is a dimension to growth in Christ and to growing in our faith that we, we simply cannot get on our own. No matter how much... Bible reading and prayer we do on our own. Those are essential disciplines. But it is also essential that we be a, a, a vital part, an active part of a local church family. Our faith is not... We are not meant to live this Christian life as lone rangers. Our faith is meant to be linked to the faith of others as we do life together as we grow in faith, as we exercise our faith, as we hold up the shield of faith together. The idea of Christians who are not linked to a local church simply does not exist in the New Testament. It's not there. In fact, the writings of the New Testament don't even make sense unless you understand that they're written to churches, to, to, to local churches of a people whose lives are linked together. Every believer needs a church. And the other implication of that is that every church needs unity. When believers are united, 
when they're holding up the shield of faith uh, together, the church is unstoppable. And Satan may be a lot of things. He's not stupid. (laughs) He, He knows that. And so he does everything that he can to fray the relationships and to divide uh, Christians and churches. He'll do anything to try to do that because he knows when churches are united, what a force they are for the kingdom of God. So we need to always be aware of that. Paul speaks about the wiles of the devil. Don't be unaware of his schemes. And, and be aware, you know, he's always going to try to divide Christians, uh, sow discord in churches. Don't, don't ever allow yourself to be used by him in that way. So every believer needs a church. Every church needs unity. And when we hold up the shield of faith, every arrow that the enemy shoots can be quenched. And not only that, but we can move forward against him together in faith. 1 John chapter 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, we pray for any that are here today that have not believed in Jesus as a son of God. Father, I do not speak of a shallow mental ascent. I do not speak about believing things about Jesus. But that does not save. Your word tells us that does not save. Your word tells us that we are saved by believing in Jesus. By trusting actively trusting in His finished work for us in the cross and the resurrection, turning from sin and self, trying to do life our own way apart from You, turning and trusting in Christ alone and receiving Him into our lives as Savior, Lord, King. as we continue to pray, have you done that? Have you turned to Jesus and trusted in Him and His finished work in that way? Friend, do it today. God has given you today. We're not promised tomorrow, but He's giving you today. He's put you in this place today in the hearing of the good news of Christ. Would you turn to Him and trust Him? and receive Him, welcome Him into your life as Savior and King today. He's told us that we're to do life together as a church family. If you're here and and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, today, as we stand and sing, we want to welcome you as you come. If you've got questions about Christianity We don't want you to leave here without being prayed for, without being able to talk to someone. And we want to invite you to come as well. So Father, we give you now this time of invitation. Would you work in lives for your glory? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. 
Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1, 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.